From Washington, this is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, February 18th. You're listening to the Macrocast. This is Tony Fratto with uh, Hamilton Place Strategies. We've got uh, John Fagan, Brendan Walsh from Markets Policy Partners, uh, as always, and uh, and then the great John Dick with Civic Science with us. Um, John, great to have you here. We had, um, you know, we, we had the, the economic sentiment index um, that's been giving us a look at where consumers are. This, I think it's like we're in that inflection point. We're in an inflection point right now where, uh, you know, Omicron is going away. You know, I mean, like the numbers are diving way down and um, and, you know, governments are taking away, you know, a lot of the mandates on masks and gatherings and other things. What's ESI showing us? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting trend at the moment. I mean, so so the most recent reading that we just put out on on uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday, um, it's the it's the second lowest uh, the ESI has been in ten years. Um, the lowest being sometime in mid October of last year. Uh, so for whatever three four months ago, it but 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 really basically since just before Halloween, it's kind of been like a beer can bouncing around the bottom of a gar- garbage dumpster. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's been low. It's a little up, a little down, a little up, a little down. We saw we saw a, a tiny sort of like bit of Christmas cheer boost economic confidence through the holidays, and then it's been sliding really since the three of the four readings we've done since New Year's have been down. Um, you know, and there's a couple interesting things about that. One is. Um, since COVID started, the economic sentiment index has pretty well tracked um, the pace of new cases and, you know, uh, yep. COVID, COVID spread, um, you know, or, and maybe it's, it's actually lagged it just a little bit um, because people feel like, oh my God, we're going to be in this forever. I frankly was expecting to see an uptick this time because, because Omicron cases were declining so fast. Yep. Um, so I, I have to admit, I was a bit surprised to see it fall. I mean, even, you know, it didn't fall a full point or anything, but you know, I'm, I, I would continue to be optimistic that over the next two weeks, we see it come climb again, but, but it also, maybe it won't. And maybe, maybe some of these, you know, inflationary headwinds that are, that consumers are feeling at the grocery store are overcoming their, or overwhelming their optimism about Omicron for right now. Um, people, people are salty. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they are like, I mean, there's like, they're in a, I mean, they're the, the numbers have been low. People are in a sour mood, even if they feel good about like their own personal situation, they're pretty sour on, I don't know, everything. It seems like, right. You know, oh, yeah. there's, there, this is not the, this is the era of bad feelings right now. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like you can talk, I know we'll talk later about Ukraine, but by and large, like the average consumer is not paying as much attention to that as we are. And so that's not the kind of thing that drags on them. But you're right. Mm -hmm. There's just an overall sense of negativity around, you know, like even something as simple as we we study reaction to um, the Super Bowl commercials. Yeah. And like across the, I mean, okay, so maybe some, every year some are good or some are bad, but the average consumer's perception of every Super Bowl commercial this year was net net significantly more negative than it has been in the past. We're just like crabby about everything. We can't even- About everything. It's amazing. Yeah. People aren't even happy about the Olympics, right? I mean, it's like they're using, they're, they're, that's, some, that's another thing to complain about. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's just a, there's just a fair, pretty, pretty sour mood across the country right now. And, you know, it had been- for the longest time, really sort of boosted and, and dropped by by the 
by the COVID spread and this is not happening right now. Um, and, you know, maybe we can blame it on economic headwinds, but it's just, it just seems to be across the board negativity at the moment. By the way, like I, we, um, you know, we, we talk about the economic sentiment index uh, as though everyone knows what it is and everyone should know what it is. Cause it's really, it's a pretty cool tool that we created about, uh, about uh, 10 years ago now uh, between, uh, you know, a joint project between Hamilton Play Strategies and, and Civic Science. And, you know, if you're out there in the world and you've heard of the, uh, the Michigan survey or the conference board survey, it's similar, but better and faster. And um, we think it's better, right, John? I mean, it's like, it's pretty oh, good. It's, it's undoubtedly better. 10 years of data on it now that are, uh, that, that, um, you know, people can see how it's, uh, you know, how it's performed, how it's, you know, the, the window it's giving us on the economy. I think it's been, been pretty good. It's undoubtedly better. I mean, yeah. and, and, and of course we're biased, but I mean, it's empirically true. I mean, it is, it is, sometimes I want to pull my hair out um, because it, it doesn't have the, um, it doesn't have the longevity such that, that it gets, you know, um, as much attention, say, as some of the others, but it inevitably leads them. <laughs> like we are, we are putting stuff out that a week later, all of the others say, and, um, and it's always, I told, you know, we write about a good bit about it, Tony. And so it's like, I can always point back to it and say to everyone, see, we told you this was going to happen. And, 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 you know, one of those things, one of the reasons why is it's just, it's always on it's real time. It's not like these, other, these other surveys go out at particular points in time, say three to five day periods and grab some data and take a snapshot, like on some arbitrary set of days in a given month, and then project that for the whole month. Um, ours is always on. We're tracking three-day rolling averages. You know, it's just it's just better science, better math. Um, and so it's not that there's beyond that a whole lot of secret sauce. Um, although the other thing that we can do really well is because of the, the depth of profile information that we ask respondents is we're able to cut it a lot of different ways to see not just, you know, the U.S. consumer population is not a monolith. And right. Like, so yeah. attitudes of some groups go up and others go down and, and these other metrics aren't built to really capture that. And, you know, and, and, and so we we're able to kind of find some of the signal that project or predict things in the market um, that the others just, they just can't. It's the, it's the elite sentiment index. It's not for, yeah, we should call that's, that's what we should rename it. It's elite. It's yeah. uh yeah. <laughs> It has been fun, though. I mean, we're right right at a decade of history on the thing. And, um, you know, like everything else, COVID has just been like this incredible social experiment. But the one of the more fascinating things that happened, like starting about a year and a half ago, is we track five, um, we track five different metrics, primarily that build into the the, the job market, housing market, personal finance, uh, view of the economy and major purchases. And pretty much for the entirety of nine, eight and a half years, those five things, those five lines kind of moved in a similar shape uh, month over month, day over day, right? Like generally, you know, one might be a little bit higher than the other, but for the most part, they tended to be like, you know, pretty much in concert. And what started happening in COVID that was really unprecedented was that we saw some of these lines depart from others. Um, Views of the job market in the U.S. got significantly better because lots of people were hiring while optimism for the overall economy went down. Um, We also now have a situation where a lot of consumers are reporting a pretty strong personal financial situation 
uh, because of the money they've accrued over the last year and a half. But but still, we have a really negative view of things like major purchases and the housing market. So it's interesting to watch those lines that always went in sort of concert with each other start to go in opposite directions. Yeah. John and Brendan, um, the markets have been pretty salty this week too, huh? Yeah, it's been kind of the parade of horribles that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Honestly, it's the uh, the Russia Ukraine crisis that has that that has really uh, been a been a huge headwind to sentiment. Alongside, you know, continued Fed and global central bank uh, aggressive rhetoric on withdrawal of accommodation, and uh, and this is of course wrapped up in the inflation picture. We got more hot inflation data this week. And uh, and, you know, ultimately, the the inflation in the markets, I know in the in the media, it's really a one note. It's inflation risk, inflation risk, inflation risk. If you look at markets, there's a contending growth concern (laughs) that's showing up in the flattening of the yield curve, underperformance of growth sensitive, uh, growth sensitive sectors uh, and uh, and components of the equity market. And uh, and just a, you know, a, a sense that. The Fed is. This is a really challenging thing for the Fed to do. How are they going to stick the landing when you're? Where you basically have to tighten policy into what could very easily be a geostrategic catastrophe and uh, a supply shock and a fiscal contraction and uh, all of the above. So it's a, it's kind of a witch's brew. And this, of course, hit equities and credit markets when they were riding at like record highs very fat and happy kind of valuations. And so it's, it's, it's almost like it would be, it would be weird if markets weren't down <laughs> this year, right? This is uh, earning season. Let's, let's face it was okay, but you had some really big high profile misses. And, uh, and so it's, it's not a pretty picture. And I think honestly, you can almost the, the, the parts of the, uh, the overall sort of, message from the markets is is pretty downbeat but you know when you look under the hood some of the most bubbly stuff is down like a, a ton so um, you know there's still there's still you know stability this the positive thing is this hasn't spilled over into systemic risk and uh, and so if you're you know if you're watching this from the uh, from the policymaker's seat you're saying you know financial markets are taking a punch but they're taking it Right. They're not they're not flat on the canvas with the mouthpiece next to them. Can I ask you guys to tell me the story of what is the knock on effect of a of a of a Russia, Ukraine, Europe, U.S. uh, if it comes if it becomes hot. Right. So like and and I say this and first of all, you know, I hope we've slapped down the most significant sanctions ever done to a country not called North Korea. Uh, if uh, if Russia should invade Ukraine, I want them to go do the things they should do. But what's the story on this? Because at the end of the day, you know, Russia is, you know, it's like it's an economy. I don't I haven't looked at the numbers recently. Like, I don't know. Is it bigger than the state of Illinois? I don't know if it is. I think it was maybe Denmark and Finland. If you combine yeah. those, I mean, two, it's like, it, yeah, it, it's an inconsequential economy from, uh, you know, from a, a, a uh, size standpoint, of course, it's it occupies very large space in things like energy exactly. yep. and uh, wheat commodities. You know, like wheat. You, in fact, Ukraine 
Russia and and uh, and Ukraine account for something like forty percent of the world's wheat production, right? So there's like those kinds of like those those kinds of things. But what's the story like? Say, oh, like so they they uh, they invade, sanctions hit. What is the real hit to the to the global economy if this what happens? Is it are, are markets overstating it? You know, I think that the part of it is the uncertainty. Obviously, you know, a massive war on the European continent is a something we haven't seen in the kind of scale that a lot of strategists are expecting in a very long time. And so there is that unknown. The, you know, the, the most obvious vector, I think, that people look at is the energy complex and the willingness and ability of Russia and President Putin to use gas and, uh, and its uh, energy, uh, you know, oil and so forth. Uh, plus commodities as a, uh, you know, as, as leverage uh, to squeeze those off. We saw that happen uh, earlier this winter. It was, you know, certainly part and parcel of the European and global inflation story. Energy makes a big component of that. We haven't really seen the Fed, uh, you know, differentiating between sort of inflation in a monolithic sense and something that is driven by geostrategic uh, and uh, supply disruption potential like this. And, uh, and so this is, you know, it feeds through to this, uh, to that inflation and Fed tightening and global central bank tightening narrative, the idea that, uh, that energy is a weapon. Um, and we obviously see, you know, WTI, US benchmark WTI and West Texas Intermediate, global benchmark Brent, these are up at their highest level since 2014. I mean, these are lofty, you know, in gasoline prices, I, I want to ask, circle back to John Dick and see how uh, how, how finally they slice it. But uh, certainly, like pressure at the pump is a is a big issue for people. I would imagine. Well, for sure. I mean, well, actually, you know, gas prices at least had sort of stabilized for there, there for a while. So that was one of the few bright bright marks coming through December into January. Um, yeah. So so again. The av- few few average consumers pay enough attention to sort of global um, unrest like this to to sort of have it affect their daily lives or daily views of of things and and even the other thing when you were talking about the markets earlier um, that I've been watching that's kind of fascinating to me is just how how entirely disaffected the average consumer is even by the stock market undulations right like we all pay so much so close attention to it but the average person really doesn't it, it i needed we need it you know f- all through covid it was sort of a constant that the the stock market just continued pretty much to just go up right so we didn't we we needed the variable event to see if it was like were were consumers feeling better about themselves because the econ- the stock market was doing great well the stock market undulating doesn't seem to have changed the trajectory of anything else that we track. The consumer just doesn't pay attention to it in the short term. Now, when it affects them in the longer term, if their retirement accounts get depleted, and I think it's the same thing here with, you know, they'll they'll confront their their concerns and fears over uh, over a war in the Ukraine if it shows up at the gas pump, right? And, and they may, may or may not like intellectualize the correlation between those two things, but until it actually hits their debit card, yeah, they're not they seem to be pretty disaffected by all of it. Yeah, and that that stagflationary risk that you mentioned, John, I think is really that key aspect. And uh, you know, inflation if the if the economy is if inflation's hot because demand is so strong and you know, labor markets booming and that sort of thing, that's one thing. But if you have a situation in which, you know, oil has a huge geopolitical risk premium, people are paying more at the pump not because, you know, they're out they're out driving and having a good time, but because of something that's happening halfway around the world. 
it's a it's a totally different story. We saw when sanctions were slapped on Deripaksa uh, during the Trump administration, it reverberated in the uh, aluminum market. And uh, because (laughs) I know that the oligarchs have sort of changed the ownership structure so that they're sanctioning them personally doesn't necessarily hit their businesses in the same way. But the idea that, you know, a major uh, a a major producer of energy and commodities uh, might be basically toe to toe uh, against the West is a uh, is a pretty disturbing thing these days. And, uh, you know, also, you know, it's the Russians, what are they capable of in terms of messing with our infrastructure? You know, these are the kinds of things that kind of sit in the back of the minds of investors who are really focused on this stuff. And, uh, you know, what is what is Russian malware capable of if, you know, we really drop the gloves here and uh, and things and things go ballistic, as you said, Tony, in, in Ukraine? How, how bad can this get? You know, and then what will, you know, will 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 China link arms with Russia and uh, and create a, you know, uh, world shaking uh, kind of uh, aggressive posture. Th- these are the kinds of things that keep investors up at night and are some of the things that drive these undulations <laughs> when uh, when we get the, the headlines out of Ukraine. Hey, I want to uh, let's take a break. I want to come back and talk about uh, the 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 um, uh, the point that you raised uh, earlier, John, which is that uh, it, through all of this, the Fed has a pretty tricky job ahead of it. Um, let's come back on the macrocast and jump in and see what the Fed's going to do. Every two weeks, HPS measures U.S. adults' feelings and expectations for the economy. The Civic Science Economic Sentiment Index, powered by HPS, accurately measures movements in overall national economic sentiment and provides a more sophisticated alternative to existing economic sentiment indices. To learn more, contact us through hamiltonplacestrategies.com. All right, back on the macrocast. Uh, John Fagan, you mentioned earlier, you know, the Fed's got a really tricky job here uh, trying to thread the needle in this environment where you have the, the potential for shocks. Uh, but you know, the job was hard enough even without the potential for, uh, for some, of these, uh, some of these shocks, just trying to get back to something like normal and dealing with inflation. How are they going to do it? Yeah, it's a really challenging. It's a really challenging pivot that they have undertaken, and we've seen the Fed change its change its posture really quickly. And uh, and certainly, when it comes to airtime, you know, the loudest megaphone it's the hawks on the committee. And uh, so, when this week in particular, we've gotten some. So, Brendan, you've been following some of the uh, the the chatter from the Fed talking heads here. What are some of the the things that they've been? That they've been yeah, firing I mean, off. We talked about a little bit about last week when Bullard got it all going, but he's keeping it going. Um, you know that the the Fed's kind of behind the curve, and they, they need to tighten um, rapidly. And uh, uh, Mester from uh, Kansas City kind of re- reiterated Bullard's point uh, later in the day yesterday. Um, today we get some ha- uh, from from some more dovish people uh, speaking, especially Williams. So we'll see see how much they try to push back. I, I certainly think that Bullard isn't speaking for the core of the FOMC. Uh, it, the fact that Williams is speaking, he he might be the one that you know you you, you can take that that's coming from the um, you know more from the from the FOMC. Yeah. yeah, but look, I mean, Mester, I thought Mester was pretty strong um, yesterday, and but we but we should be clear. Like, I mean, I mean, you know, hawks and doves right now. Doves are doves are saying. You know, uh, uh, you know, still re- elevate the rate. And- right, right. The, the 
Right. Like, it, yeah. it, everything has shifted. So everyone's in 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 agreement that we need to to raise rates. Just just the question quantity, is how quickly and yeah. uh, and how um, how high they end up getting. Yeah, and how to mix in the balance sheet and so on and so forth. And so, you know, there's this discussion about, well, we can kind of use the balance sheet reduction and that can maybe allow us to hike rates at a a slower pace. I think it's very interesting to see, you know, just how far the market is ahead of, uh, you know, what the uh, what the core of the committee has said. You know, even some of the hawks on the committee saying, you know, I'm still uh, you know around three rate hikes this year which is what we saw in the dot plot. And, uh, you know, obviously it's evol- it's evolving, but that kind of center of the committee hasn't really changed that much. There's still a lot that are saying three kind of rate hikes and we'll start in March and go relatively slowly. And so the market is pricing in six plus rate hikes this year. <laughs> and uh, we, we so- should note that they're, they're pricing in these rate hikes because, I don't know, three weeks ago, week two weeks ago. Yeah. We got a blowout jobs report. Yep. <laughs> like, we got a blowout jobs report and an and additional uh, inflation prints that were uh, that are frightening people. So it's not like you know. I mean, like they got to be heading in this direction. Like these are they're re- they are responding to actual data they're seeing out there. Right? Oh yeah, that's that's true. I mean, the market is trying to get ahead of the Fed uh, on this as they as it as it often as it as it is want to do. Uh, but you know, the question is, is this you know we've seen the way that financial markets are reacting. Um, is there going to be some sense of relief if they start in March with 25 basis points instead of 50? The markets have pushed the bar pretty high. And yeah. so one of the positive stories that you might be able to tell is, you know, when March comes around and they do 25 or, you know, do 50, but with, you know, put some bubble wrap around the language and maybe it's not as hawkish. I personally think they're going to do 25 in, uh, in March. And, uh, and I think that that might offer some sort of glimmer of relief that the Fed isn't just like hell bent for leather, you know, tighten the screws until the, you know, damn the torpedoes, who cares what happens in the markets? I just don't think that the center of the committee is there. Yeah, I think, I think you're right on that. One, th- one, th- look, I, I, one thing I've been saying for a long time is for a good while now, right. As we've gotten more readings on the economy is that for as, as sour as people are right now, um, you know, a lot of people comparing this to the, you know, to the seventies. And I think one thing, one thing is clear is that sentiment is down near what, you know, as though we were in a malaise, you know, 19 late seventies style economy. That is how sour people are on, uh, on the outlook right now. It's that bad, but I keep saying the economics of it, the, the, this economy this is not a malaise economy. We just got to blow out jobs report. We have great job. Crazy. Um, anybody who wants a job can get a job right now. Uh, uh, interest rates are super low, very accommodative. We do have this inflation problem. That's that's clearly there, and that is an um, that's an issue. But if the if the three legs of malaise are high interest rates, high unemployment, and high inflation, we've only got one of those legs. Now, if people are this sour about the world today and now the fed's going to start raising interest rates and the fed is going to stop ba- buying um you know mortgage backed securities and we start seeing you know some impacts in housing markets and interest rates going up and now we all know we look at this and say well look i mean the, you know uh rates you know inching up a little bit aren't a big deal but on a you know you may have a 100% increase in in um, you know what you're paying, right? You go from 
you know, you go from one and a half to two percent. Um, yeah, one, well, the, the thirty-year mortgage. Yeah, that's yeah, a big, the thirty-year mortgage at four percent now, and we hit a low of two point seven uh, right, right about a year ago. And that's, um, that's and a that's big difference take, in out of your pocket, you know. I'm going to take the froth off the top of the house, and, and we're seeing that from the weekly Mortgage Bankers Association data. The last two weeks have been fairly negative, and and across all four regions, um, the, in terms of new new applications um, for single family ho- housing. Honey, I but think also interesting that the New York Fed put out their inflation expectations survey uh, this week, where they just you know quiz people and. Across the board, everyone expects it to remain elevated in 2020, but uh, for the, the two and three year, they expect it to kind of go back where we were, you know, two to three percent. So even though people are mad about inflation now, the, the average consumer expects it to be to be normalized in the next year. Guys, I, I think, though, the one and I don't know how unprecedented or precedent this is, but. There's there are two stories to the infl- two two parts of the inflation story because we're we're seeing we're seeing consumer spending hold really firm and strong and mm-hmm. you know and a lot of that's because people are paying higher prices for goods um, not because like the basket sizes are larger in the in the research vernacular um, but there's really two ends of that spectrum the the, the consumer spending is being bolstered by people in mid- middle to upper middle to higher income categories because they're still living off all of the proceeds of like the the financial boom that they experienced over the last 18 or 19 months uh, and change. And um, the lo- the, it's, the, it's the lower end of the income spectrum that's getting hit, hit much harder by inflation at the grocery store and the pump. But basically, it's, it's leveling itself out such that the people who are spending more are spending much more than the people who are spending less are spending less, if that makes sense, right? So there's there's a, I don't know how how true that's always been about, I mean, about inflation, or I'm not a historian in that area, but that's absolutely what's happening right now. Yeah, well, John Fagan, I mean, you're, I mean, you're not, you, 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 you noted, uh, you guys noted, uh, well, you know, Walmart, uh, Yep. Uh, report, which was uh, which was pretty strong. Is there some are there some tea leaves to read there? So th- their prices they were affected by uh, you know higher input costs and and especially and the ch- supply chain, but they're doing a very good job of handling it and and they 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 let it eat into margins. They didn't uh, pass it on, and but their most importantly their outlook uh, for the rest of 2020 and 23 was above what the, the street had been expecting. So. They're pretty confident that they've, you know, seen the worst of of what they they've got. So the read through from Walmart um, was kind of similar to some of the read throughs from other big companies, like we talked about, like the the the, the uh, payment networks are, are seeing, you know, somewhat um, return to to normalcy. Should note that Walmart is an HPS client, but uh, but yeah, that <laughs> that was a. It was it, uh, look. I mean, they 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 run a terrific business, and they've done and and they are the, from a yeah, for the, the the point of this show, the macro a macro standpoint, you could do a lot worse than looking at how Walmart is doing to have a sense of how the American uh, consumer is doing. They give you the, the fattest slice of it. Yeah, they stole yeah. Mariel from us, though, so they're dead to me. Yes, they did, <laughs> including yeah. from, from the HBS podcast team. And uh, and next week we've got uh, Macy's, we've got Lowe's, and Home Depot. Those are maybe not as consequential as Walmart, but still really interesting data points on the U.S. consumer. Yeah, especially the uh, home improvement. Uh, John, you, you've seen that, right, in some of your data. Yeah. yeah. And you look in Walmart. I mean, I think there's still this sort of mis, uh, mischaracterization of Walmart, or at least that has evolved a lot, that it was more kind of it, it is their customer base is the U.S. census. It is not like. Yeah. 
middle class to lower middle class consumers, like this perception that like, you know, one group goes to Target and one goes to Walmart, like Walmart has diversified itself so incredibly well that its customer base is everybody, right? So they do capture the ups and the downs. of both Yeah. Them. And it's a grocery store too. It's Correct. not even just, Correct. Yeah. it's the biggest yeah. grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it'll be interesting to see like what some of the dollar stores report or, you know, like that, yeah. that might be a little bit better of an indicator of some things down the road too. Uh, crazy times. What should we be uh, looking at toward uh, for next week, guys? It's a little quieter uh, on the, the in influential data front. Uh, we get the, you know, the, the global PMIs, which will be interesting, especially because most of the world is now on the, the downside of the Omicron. So we'll see. Um, we, we probably should be able to see, especially in the services PMIs, if um, if activity has has picked up. Um, and then obviously we're going to be paying a lot of attention to the border of Ukraine and Russia, uh, in terms of earnings, uh, like John was saying, we get home Depot, uh, Macy's and Lowe's. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, really interesting to see what we, you know, what we see from that, from them. Yeah. And, and I also imagine yeah, we're going to get a lot more fed speakers, uh, next week too. Yeah. Uh, it's always great to, uh, to, to see how they've done, but really, I, lo I love to like read into their, uh, earnings uh, calls just to, as they talk about their outlook, you know, sort of the going forward um, indications that, that's, uh, that's always fascinating from the big retailers. Yep. Yeah. Just one more thing for next week. The uh, Iran nuclear deal talks are going oh, on. The yeah. uh, commentary has been that the end of the month, this is a critical period. It's a critical week. We've seen, despite the ongoing tensions in uh, Russia, Ukraine, which has fattened up the geostrategic risk premium in oil prices. We've seen them come off the highest levels over the last couple of days. And that's in no small part due to some better atmospherics around the negotiations. And, uh, and OPEC is trying to get ahead of it, which is always, a you know, if OPEC is trying to say, hey, if you guys get a deal, then we're going to put Iran into our uh, supply curb framework, right? Uh, so they don't just unleash a torrent of Iranian oil onto global uh, uh, into global crude markets. So if OPEC is trying to get ahead of this, then there may be something uh, to, to watch. Clearly, if you're the Biden administration and you are worried about prices at the pump and looking at what's going on there, your incentives uh, may have already been high, but now they're even higher to get something done on this front. It's one of the very tangible things that you can do to help ameliorate that problem. Yeah, that's a somewhat important deadline, but much more important is the MLB has said the 28th we need a deal by if uh, the season's going to start on time. So we really got to start on time. On that no chance. No we chance. need opening day. Ugh. No, no yeah. chance. I, I, don't, I don't see it. I mean, there's, a, there's expect the worst always with these guys. Um, I should say, though, that uh, the, the, the United States Congress, though, um, uh, did manage to take one risk factor off the table uh, by doing the absolute bear <laughs> of funding the government for another three weeks three so they, weeks thank you very much yeah so they uh they did pass a uh you know an extension for uh through march 11th um and then uh, promptly left town uh so way to go guys way quick to go. question tony on on congress are are the buy is biden going to get all five fed uh he will Appointees, you think so? They'll all get through. It's, I mean, this is that these are, I, I don't think these are anything more than delaying tactics. Um, you know, the, the, if they, they come to the floor, they'll get the votes. And um, if they come to the floor, if they can get them out of, you know, they're going to force committee. them out of committee eventually. And 
and uh, the votes are there for them once they get to the uh, the floor of the Senate. Um, and uh, but it's yeah, it's frustrating for everyone to watch the the uh, Senate confirmation process. I mean, it's just not this isn't the way the founders intended the process to work. Um, so I guess we could say that about a lot of things. <laughs> Uh, John Dick, thanks for joining us as always. Always a blast. Yep, guys. Um, I will not. I will not be on the show next week. Uh, I'm going to uh, El Salvador for the World Food Program uh, next week. Uh, looking at some of our programs on the ground. Um, you know, the world's greatest uh, disaster relief agency. Uh, amazing people and amazing work that they do. And I'm proud to be on the board of uh, World Food Program USA. So we're going to be in country next week and uh, get to see their work on the ground. But I will be back the following or uh, or, or the following week and then uh, looking forward to that. But uh, have a great weekend and have a great week, guys. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate and share. 